Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening and welcome to Blooming Out on WFHB. I am producer Ryan Shaddy. We are taking a quick break this week and will be re-airing one of our favorite shows with author Patrick Redman. We will be back next week with a live episode. But until then, let's join Jeff Pulling and Janae Cummings. I'm going to give you a quick bio about Patrick. Patrick Redman was born and raised in southern Indiana and recently returned to his home state after 16 years of living in South Florida, teaching for the Miami-Dade County Public School System. He holds a BA in English from Florida International University in Miami and an MFA in Creative Writing and Literature from Stony Brook University in Southampton, New York. He's a contributing blogger for the Huffington Post. His writing has appeared in the No Hate Campaign blog, the Southampton Review, and in the Barnes & Noble Reviews, Grenon Tonic. He's also the 2012 recipient of the Deborah Heck Memorial Prize in Fiction. Some Go Hungry is his first novel, and we're so excited about it. Um, Patrick, uh, this is a novel. It's your first novel. And this is a novel that is inspired by your life in southern Indiana. Yes, yes, yes. My family was in the restaurant business in a small town of Vincennes, Vincennes, Indiana, and they were in business for 55 years there. So uh, I grew up in that restaurant business. I managed it for well over a decade uh, before I, you know, flew off to Miami Beach and... um, so yeah, the story is inspired certainly by my experience having managed the restaurant and growing up in Vincennes. Right now, um, it, this is a this is a wonderful book. I mean, I just my Thank my you. own personal um, enjoyment from from reading it. I can I can tell you firsthand. I I recommend it highly um, for everyone. Um, I do love um, the uh, the your description of Patrick says. It's about God, guns, gays, and green beans. <laughs> yeah, that's my humor. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is in the sense that, you know, this is – the novel takes place in the fictional community of Fort Sackville, Indiana, in, in southwestern Indiana okay. uh, on the banks of the Wabash River. And um, it really is an area both in the fictional community of Fort Sackville and in the community of Vincennes, my hometown. It's an agricultural community. And and I say in Some Go Hungry that, you know, the community sort of survives on, on you know, God and farming. Everything there is, is part of the industry of either religion or agriculture. And um, so, yeah, it, that, it reflects a lot of that. Now, it, the book um, covers uh, very important um, uh, occurrences, um, things that that you uh, experienced your, yourself. Um, but the book, if to to describe it correctly, it it is fiction, but it is underlined, inspired by your life. Do you do you want to just tell us a little bit about what some of these events are sure sure what i what i tell most people is that the book is part romana clef and part fiction and it's sort of up to the reader 
to figure out which is what. Uh, but it certainly is inspired by my experiences having grown up in a small rural community, struggling with my sexual orientation, the coming out process, that sort of thing. And it is also inspired by an event, a scandal that took place in my hometown of Vincennes in 1986. A, a young man, a classmate of mine, I was a junior in high school, he was a senior. His name was Brent Brand. He, um, he was, he, nobody really knows if he was gay or not, because I mean, he was only 18 years old. I'm certain that he probably didn't know himself, but he certainly was perceived to be gay. And he innocently attended a local party and died. A lot of people in my hometown think that he was murdered and a man sort of loaded his body up into a vehicle and drove from Indiana to Illinois across the Wabash river and disposed of his body in a farm filled drainage ditch. And um, I remember clearly the community being incredibly apathetic to this murder and to this crime. It was as if collectively they sort of said, eh, well, you know, it's just a gay guy. They don't really matter. And then there was also this idea, too, of it being an opportunity for the fire and brimstone pastors to sort of come out and shake their finger and say, see, this is what happens if you choose the wrong path. Sure. Now the um, y- you're you're talking about um, these events occurring. About what year w- was this? The the actual crime, the murder, was uh, thirty years ago this month in 1986, and it's still an unsolved crime in in my hometown, in my community. And so, in terms of the fictional community of Fort Sackville in the novel *Some Go Hungry*. Uh, The way that's sort of set up is that we have um, newspaper articles that are sort of the narrative arc of this particular crime that is is inspired by the Brent Brand crime. It's a young man in the novel named Robbie Palmer. So it's Robbie Palmer's murder. That's sort of the narrative arc in these in these newspaper articles, and then the contemporary story takes place about 22 years later. And the protagonist, the main character in *Some Go Hungry*, his name is Gray Daniels, and he sort of has grown up in the shadows of this scandal, and it really has colored his awareness of himself uh, in this community. The for for our young uh, younger listeners. Um, could you just kind of explain or describe what it was like when when a scandal like this broke out about a a person who was um, not, maybe not gay, perceived as gay, um, their life being extinguished, and how the community, the uh, in particular the religious community, the the community of faith in the in the town reacted to that? How I mean, some people can't imagine the reaction that that occurred, but it was in the 80s, and things were different then. Things were incredibly different in the 80s, because what we have to remember is that 1986, as a nation, we were at the height of the AIDS panic. Mm-hmm. Um, you had televangelists, you had you know CBS, ABC, NBC News pumping all of this information into the living rooms of Middle America about homosexuality and homosexuals and AIDS. And you know there was the thought, well, if you have AIDS, you're gay. If you're gay, you have AIDS. There was all of this misinformation that was out there, and the nation was swept up in this panic and frightened. We didn't know where all of this was going, and you know there was no internet, there was no social media. 
And therefore, really, there were no resources at all for, for instance, a 17-year-old kid like me that was struggling with his sexual orientation. Where do I go? Who do I reach out to? Who do I, who do I talk to about this? Because you're fearing that, okay, this is a guy that was perceived to be gay, and that's what they did to him. I had just had my same-sex ex- first same-sex experience weeks before that. What are they going to do to me? And and it's just it's it's a frightening was an incredibly frightening time. Were there were there feelings about um, kind of the nature of his death? As in, you know, was this a hate crime? Was this kind of like an an, an experience gone wrong? How did the community see it? That's a good question. It, what did did they even use the term hate crime back then? No, the, tor- I, the term hate crime. Right. The term hate crime was coined, you know, long after Matthew Shepard. Yeah, and see, that's right. that's sort of the point of Some Go Hungry is there are thousands and thousands of Brent Brands and fictional characters like Robbie Palmer that whose voices were extinguished long before Matthew Shepard. And that's not to diminish that experience whatsoever, but those voices have the right to be heard as well. And, you know, it's really interesting. There was all sorts of gossip and all sorts of rumor mongering. And, and, and I certainly don't want to get into any of that or propagate any of that any further because that really practically destroyed his family. I mean, we had a grieving family, a local family in our hometown that was ostracized because their son and their brother, who was perceived to be gay, was found dead. And so he immediately was labeled a homosexual. The party in print, the local newspaper said the party was homosexual in nature. They fed off the salaciousness and the scandal of it all and lost sight that we had an 18-year-old kid, a local kid murdered, and nobody did anything about it. And so that's really you know, the the jest and the point of Some Go Hungry is there, these stories need to be told because these kinds of things are still happening in the United States and in rural communities in particular. And and it's, it's something that needs to be addressed, absolutely. And this happened very close to home, literally close to home. It, um, I mean, it for was- For many people I know, home. It was, yeah, it was my home. And, and, you know, I mean, Brent sat next to me in class, you know, I mean, I, and I've said this before, I can't say that we were friends, but we were certainly friendly, but, you know, he was an incredibly gentle, sweet soul. And, and, and the thought that it's been 30 years since that young man's been sitting next to me in a desk in in high school is just unfathomable to me. Well, we are going to continue our conversation with Patrick because we've got a lot of questions and we really want to talk more about this incredible book. Um, Right now, we're going to take a short music break, and the music artist is Ryan Dolan, who was selected to represent Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest. In 2014, he released the song Start Again. Now, the video of the song deals with bullying and suicide, which we're going to talk about later in the show. In it, Dolan says, a guy in high school who's dealing with being bullied and abused for being gay... Um, that's what's depicted. The video ends with the young teen taking his life. Statistics say that on an average, 3,000 people around the world take their own lives every day. That's one person every 30 seconds. The loss of a loved one through suicide shatters the lives of family and friends forever. People get through those times, and suicide can be prevented. If you or someone you love needs help, it's available. One resource is the Trevor Lifeline chat online or over the phone. The phone number 
7386. All this appeared because this is what Ryan wanted to make sure people knew about, and this is his song. Here is Start Again. I guess life was tough Growing up I didn't even know If I could make it or not Cause every day Is harder on your And when they look at me It's clear to see That they don't wanna be The ones who hang around with me So now I guess I'll Going on my own Life was hard and I got down But I got up and carried on Time passed so slow The life I left was all in vain A worthless show, a pointless game Time was so cold Cause I can live a lifetime living these lives Support for Blooming Out comes from Indiana University Health Bloomington, 
IU Health Bloomington provides hospital-based specialty care as well as community health services like Positive Link, a care coordination site for people living with HIV AIDS. Positive Link offers confidential HIV testing as well as HIV prevention education. To learn more about Positive Link, you may call 812-353-9150 or visit iuhealth.org slash Bloomington. We're back with this evening's guest, Patrick Rudman, and talking about his novel, Some Go Hungry. Thanks again for joining us. You're welcome. Um, we left off talking about, about hate crimes and, and kind of the environment of 1986, how the, the term hate crime didn't really come into existence until the Matthew Shepard murder and, 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 and times later. Um, can you speak a bit about uh, the environment back in 1986 with bullying and suicide and the kind of things that I think maybe we kind of take for granted today that are being acknowledged by people in the community? Well, I think two things that are most important is the term bullying is really a relatively new coined phrase, for lack of a better term. You know, when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, it was boys are being boys kind of thing. Um, Again, going back to thinking about the time period, this was also the time period where Rock Hudson, you know, the nation found out that the matinee idol Rock Hudson had AIDS and he was dying and he was dying in a Paris hospital and he reached out to the president of the United States our first lady and they refused they flat out refused to help him um you know the repercussions of of that refusal you know cost tens of thousands of lives at the time in terms of the national aids crisis and you know in my memory at least the tide really didn't begin to change until ryan white and that's when uh, when you had a young boy that was being ostracized in his community and in his school and basically kicked out of school right here in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, you had Elton John and other people that sort of stepped in and said, wait a minute, this is wrong. So I think that's when things really started to change. But it was well after Matthew Shepard before the term hate crime was even coined. And it was even begun to look at, I mean, people even began to look at that as something very specific, somebody being being, uh, pointed out or being um, addressed because of their ethnicity or because of their race or their religion or gender or whatever and and it being hate you know right and and patrick uh not to give too much away about the book but that kind of goes along the lines with the whole reparative therapy clinics right um that's one way that um many people of of certain religions are treating their their children when when they if and when they come to them or if they hear that they're gay and i know that's a very important part of this book do you would you like to speak well yeah because as i said earlier the way the structure of the book um the the way it's organized is you have that sort of narrative arc from 1986 that's told through the perspective of objective news articles and then you have the contemporary story that takes place about 22 years later which is the story of the protagonist gray daniels and what i was able to do with that story was to bring in more contemporary elements such as reparative therapy which some people may know as pray the gay away And these are clinics throughout the United States. These are not licensed clinics for the most part. There's no federal oversight or anything like that. Most of them operate on biblical principle. And it's the idea that a parent can take their 16 or 17-year-old child to this clinic and change their sexual orientation. 
and I kind of get on my soapbox a little bit about that. Go ahead. (laughs) Because that's one of the things that, you know, to me, at least, the idea of taking a 16-year-old kid to a clinic to change their sexual orientation is as ludicrous as taking that kid to the eye doctor and having them change their eye color. It's who they are. Mm -hmm. Right. It's part and parcel. It's who they are. And, you know, the, 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 you know, there's no reason. I mean, it, it, it stands to reason that, you know, GLSEN, the GLSEN statistic is that, that, uh, that LGBT youth are four to six times more likely to commit suicide than their heterosexual counterparts. Well, if you're getting these kind of messages from your communities and your house of worship and your school, why wouldn't that statistic be that high? Sure. Right. The, um, the, I, I know, and of course, obviously you're, you're an, you're an advocate. Your, your book is, is a wonderful platform to be able to, to make a difference and to, to, to get out, get the word out to people. And, you know, there are a lot of things that need changed and that's definitely one of them. It's, it's not, I don't think it's getting better in this country. I, I, it seems to me as the religious right, if you want to use that term, um, is the the gap is widening um, that that they're 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 putting they're accelerating these kinds of of treatments and and processes and I've noticed um, you've made some postings up and listed these reparative therapy clinics across the United States you listed them by names you showed the links and and I'm I commend you for doing that because that's what needs to be done they they it need a light needs to be shined upon. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you know, I'm not I'm not here to to be combative or to question someone's faith or their religion or their belief. I, I that that is not my position, and that's not the the message from Some Go Hungry. I'm here to be combative and to question the hate, because we as a country seem to be ramping up the hate to levels that have not been seen probably since the late 60s and it could be could very well be worse than that at this point in time but you know if if somebody you know somebody sincerely held religious belief that's perfectly fine that's the foundation upon which this country was founded but there's also freedom from religion as well and i had someone ask me in another interview did i think things were getting better and I said that I couldn't use the word better, that I could use the, you know, that I could say that I think there's more awareness. I think that there's more opportunity for conversation. But look at the state of Indiana, look at the state of Kentucky, look at the state of North Carolina. Several states throughout, throughout our nation are, are writing into law anti-gay legislation that is going to have a very real and direct effect on people's lives and especially on the lives of our LGBT youth. Did the current climate somewhat inspire you writing this book? In, in, in one respect, it did. Uh, this is a story that I've had inside of me for a very long time. And, and it was certainly inspired by my experience growing up in Vincennes. It was inspired by my classmate having been murdered. It was inspired by my family being in the restaurant business and the clientele being a very sort of conservative fundamentalist clientele. I mean, the, the, the conversations that I overheard in the over, you know, I was the general manager of that restaurant for well over a decade, you know, 
it was me being in that restaurant and listening to conversations and listening to what people would say and thinking, you know, that just for some reason that doesn't strike well with me. There's there's something wrong with that attitude or that thinking. Right. What one one um, story and one one person that we've talked about uh, before, which I noticed was mentioned in um, I think it was uh, probably the Some Go Hungry Facebook page is with, about Layla Alcorn. And that's the transgender teen from southwestern Ohio was described as a sweet, talented, tender-hearted 17-year-old, according to the news. Um, she committed suicide by stepping into the path of a, tra- a tractor trailer on I-71 northeast of Cincinnati because she left in a note, uh, left next to her bed, and it just said, I had enough. Um, you know, enough isolation, depression, and therapists who thought that lesbian and gay gender orientation could be fixed. That's that's I think that what we've had enough of. It's it's it, it is a bit of a quackery. I'm I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to call it what it is. The you know it the mental health counseling can be used to convince someone that their sexual identity is unnatural and should change. And you know the American Psychological Association and the American Psychiatric Association, um, they they do spell it out about conversion therapy that it is dangerous, numerous groups have found that it does lead to tragedies like Leila Alcorn. Well, and you know, if you think about, I'm a 47 year old man and I'm out, I've been out for, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. And even within that 25 year time span, there have been times where I have felt the rhetoric and I have felt the hate and I have felt the vitriol and I've had a hard time moving past that and I'm an adult. So as an adult, if at times I have a difficult time moving past that, what must that pressure feel like for a 15 or a 16 year old kid that's questioning their sexual orientation? And, and, you know, thank God we have, you know, organizations like the Trevor Project and It Gets Better and the No Hate Campaign and GLSEN and Gay Straight Alliances and things like that, that these people are finally stepping in and saying that this is enough. We're not we're not going to do this anymore. So one of the um, just one of the reviews, um, and I I don't even remember who. Oh, I know Boomer Boomer Magazine said, Redmond's fiction isn't an attempt to recap historical events. The fictional news reports of the character Robbie Palmer's alleged murder interspersed with chapters of homophobia that engulfs the fictional town of Fort Sackville is a platform from which the author can express his sincere concern regarding real-life situations that occur in our modern world. And I've read several reviews talking about how well you you cover cover that. That's an incredibly special review for me personally because Boomer Magazine is a regional magazine for Knox County, Indiana. Mm. So that's that's a very well received um, periodical in Vincennes, and and for the the journalist Bernie Schmidt to write that um, holds a very special place in my heart. Awesome. I think it's maybe time for uh, take a little break. 
for music. Um, you're listening to Blooming Out on WFHB and our interview with Patrick Redman. We will wrap up our conversation here in a few moments, but here is our next music break with our featured artist, Ryan Dolman, Dol- Dolan. Excuse me. In 2013, Ryan released a club dance album titled Frequency, which fe- features the original version of his Eurovision hit, Only Love Survives, and a remix version. The song was performed at the first semifinal and successfully advanced to the final. Dolan performed the song at the final with 25 other countries, and it was well-received by music critics. Under the Eurosong mentor system, Dolan was selected as one of the five Eurosong contestants. It debuted on RTE Radio 1 and was, and was released on iTunes the following day. The song was selected as the winner of Eurosong 2013. Here is Ryan Dolan with Only Love Survives. Watching the world decline Till nothing remains But in our darkest hour Right before the dawn The old world dies The new day is born We're gonna live like it's a last night Alive And we're dead into the morning light and even
support for Blooming Out comes from the Center of Sexual Health Promotion in the School of Public Health at Indiana University. The center is dedicated to progressive research that contributes to society's understanding of sexuality and to training the next generation of sexual health professionals. For information about degree programs or research opportunities, you may visit the center on the web at sexualhealth.indiana.edu. Support for WFHB and Blooming Out also comes from The Back Door, downtown Bloomington's queerest bar, dance club, and venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there is something for everyone every day of the week. The Back Door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar. More information can be found on Facebook or online at bckdoor.com. We are back um, for the final time with uh, Patrick Redman. He's the author of the new novel, Some Go Hungry. And um, just to give you a little bit of uh, a review mentioned on the back of the book, and it says Patrick Redman weaves an intriguing tale of bigotry, religion, murder, and personal redemption in small-town America. He has the he has the authentic voice of a born storyteller. <laughs> and I do really, I love your, your writing style. Thank you. I did want to just kind of to talk about it because I enjoyed the, uh, the style of, of the book, the way it would um, ease back uh, from the time that is being um, focused on, like say, you know, your, your, you know the, the characters... Um, school years and and then they start talking about um, they introduce a new character or the parents or something and then they talk about oh how they met and then it just very gently easily shifts and gives you a little background of you know which is the story of how you know maybe the parents met or something like that which ties it all in and I really like that style thank you it took me six years to do that <laughs> I was gonna say how long did it take you you've really been it working t- on it this took me six years it took me six years and multiple drafts and lots of nights of screaming and tears <laughs> and you know um, and and yelling at my publisher Kaylee Jones over the phone and why did you get me into this kind of thing but no um, it, it, it was I wanted to make sure that that not only was the story told well, but that it would also be well received and that you did get a very sort of objective voice from the narrator and Mm -hmm. that you did also get a little bit of background history on each of the characters that were introduced in Some Go Hungry. Yeah, you feel like you really know these people, and that's impressive. Well, yes, I mean, and and then that's really you know and, that's the art, I guess. That that's mm-hmm. the craft of writing is that you. I really wanted the story to have a universal feel. All of us, at one point in time or another, have felt like the other, whether we've moved to a new city or we've moved to a new job or a new house of worship or whatever. And I think that everyone can, you know, gay, straight, whatever can identify with that feeling of like, even though we're not supposed to care what people think about us, we really do, and are we going to be accepted, and that sort of thing. So I am going to um, ask Patrick to read just a, a short paragraph, and <laughs> if you don't mind. I don't mind. In, um, from the book, and it's, it's just a personal favorite um, section of mine. And it's talking about two of the characters, and these are um, characters who are good friends of the main character. Um, and this is Rosabelle and May. Okay. Right. 
and um, maybe just by reading it, you can pretty much tell. Okay, did you want me to start uh, uh, where Rosabelle's life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just that right. paragraph. Just that would. paragraph. Okay. And Rosabelle, just to give you a little bit of background information, Rosabelle and May uh, are a lesbian couple that live in the fictional community of Fort Sackville. And Rosabelle was sort of Gray's guiding light when he was struggling with his sexual orientation. And when he decided to come out, she was the first person that he sort of told that okay. he was gay. Gray, Gray being the, Gray, the, the main character. The main character. Gray Daniels, the main character. Of okay. Rosabelle's life had not been easy. Her family was one of the largest, most successful orchard families in the county. But when she met May and they moved in together, she too paid a price. She compromised. Rosabelle loved May very much, but never were they as a couple able to express their love publicly, even something as simple as a kiss or holding hands on an evening stroll through their neighborhood. Nor were they able to hug in front of a camera for the local paper in celebration of their union. All the precious, yet seemingly minor, almost insignificant moments that heterosexual couples take for granted, they could never share. No, life for Rosabelle and May was not even separate but equal. They were, for all intents and purposes, second-class citizens. Rosabelle often brought to my mind the hymn Onward Christian Soldiers from my Sunday school days at Wabash Valley Baptist Church. That was Rosabelle, a Christian soldier. Her policy was a simple life, lived with a smile, kindness, compassion for others, plus a cocktail or two and a cigarette. She understood what bigotry looked like, along with avarice, greed, and the wrath of others, and how some folks used religion as a weapon, trying to veil their actions as goodwill and saving souls. So it was in her nature to show up at mom and dad's door with May bringing nourishment for our stomachs and our souls. Mom invited them in, and we sat in comfortable companionship, sharing the meal. Thank you. And J. Patrick Redman just read from his new and first novel, Some Go Hungry. And we were talking about um, some of the reviews of this book, and um, one in particular that uh, you enjoyed is uh, from The Advocate, and that holds a bit of a special place That's in your pretty incredible, heart. actually. That's an incredible story because in 1986, when Robbie or when uh, Brent Brand was murdered, um, The Advocate was the only national media. And, they, and it, it took about a year, actually. I think the, the article came out in April of 1987. That was the only national media to cover the crime. Uh, local media and some regional press certainly covered it, but uh, The Advocate was the only one to sort of step up to the plate. Now, 30 years later, The Advocate has done a profile of the novel Some Go Hungry and the character Robbie Palmer in the novel and how it is inspired by that crime from 1986 and the Brent Brand murder. So it's kind of amazing to me that when I was in high school and you know struggled to get my hands on a copy of The Advocate and read about what was going on with the Brent Brand murder, that 30 years later, my novel is in The Advocate. And there's a profile about that. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And the um, article, the, the title that The Advocate has um, is Anti-Gay Hate is nothing new for Indiana. Yeah, Diane Anderson Minshall wrote that article and she did a phenomenal job. Interestingly enough, the title of the article in 1987 was Witch Hunt in Vincennes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's, you know, it's, I mean, and, you know, Vincennes doesn't stand alone. Vincennes doesn't stand alone in, in middle America or in the state of Indiana by any stretch of the imagination. You know, as I've been traveling around in communities like Louisville and Evansville and, and other places throughout middle America, I'm hearing Brent brand stories from everyone. Every single community, rural or metropolitan, has a kid that either suffered at the hands of bullies and was beaten because he deserved it or, or you know, Everybody has a Brent Brand and Romney Palmer story. Um, speaking of Vincennes, how has the reception been for Some Go Hungry there? For the most part, it's been overwhelmingly wonderful. And what has been especially sort of poignant for me are the texts and the emails and the messages that I've received from parents, mostly mothers, but parents in Knox County, Vincennes is part of Knox County, that have either raised or are in the process of raising children who happen to be LGBT, and and they're saying thank you, thank you, thank you for for te- you've told my family's story. You're telling the story of my son or daughter. There is a small group of people, local people, a minority, a very vocal minority, um, that are quite upset because they feel like even though it's the town is fictional, Fort Sackville is a novel, that it really is Vincennes and that it's painting the community as sort of being wicked and corrupt and homophobic and that sort of thing. And, you know, my only answer to that is if if, if someone doesn't want you to write badly about them, you should behave better. <laughs> well said. So, so uh, Patrick, we've been talking about this. Let's tell people how to get this amazing book. It's available everywhere. Thank goodness. <laughs> Good. Everywhere. Even Walmart. I think Even I Walmart. Oh Can you, I, you know, I, I saw that online. I thought, Can you believe it? I'm at Walmart? How did that happen? <laughs> um, no, it's fantastic. It's available wherever books are sold online. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, any of the indie-bound bookstores, that sort of thing. And um, local independent bookstores as well as the brick-and-mortar stores. Um, if they don't have it in stock, they can certainly order it for you. And th- it is um, Kaylee Jones' Books and it's Akashic. Yeah, Akashic Books is the publisher, and the way I always sort of describe that is Akashic is uh, you have GM and then you have Chevrolet and Buick, right? So GM sort of the the big guy. Okay. Um, Akashic is the big publisher, and Kaylee Jones Books is the imprint with Akashic. So she I, she doesn't really care too much that I use that analogy because she thinks I'm calling her a Buick when I say <laughs> that. Um, but uh, she has a very interesting story too. She's the daughter of uh, James Jones from uh, from here to eternity. Absolutely, yes. Her father is iconic American author James Jones, who wrote From Here to Eternity and The Thin Red Line, and was, ironically enough, was born and raised in Robinson, Illinois, which is just across the Wabash River from my hometown. That's fascinating. We had our book launch in New York City. Can you imagine that? A kid from Vincennes, Indiana, having a book launch in New York City. It blows me away. And then, of course, your your time in Miami, you um, you you have a great uh, discussion with the author um, and everything at the bookstore down in Miami. And and you can also um, just mentioning face. Go to Facebook and check out the Facebook page for this. Some go hungry. Absolutely, yes. Like you'll, the you'll find the links page. for all of these things. I I, I post all sorts of information about events and everything on that page. Yeah, a lot to to keep up with, and I cannot recommend enough uh, this wonderful book, Some Go Hungry, a novel by J. Patrick Redman. Thank you so Thank much you. for being here. Thank you. Patrick. It's been my pleasure. Yes. 
You've been listening to music this evening from our featured artist, Ryan Dolan. He's released songs that range from thoughtful ballads dealing with important social issues to upbeat dance tunes. For our final music break this evening, we will listen to his latest release, which is pure pop music. For one final time this evening, here is Ryan Dolan with Uptown Downtown. was Ryan Dolan with his newest song, Uptown Downtown. No matter your orientation, it's likely you've participated in a coming out story. Maybe you were the listener. Maybe you were the reader. Maybe you were the storyteller. Our segment, Open Doors, takes a closer listen to these important stories. Each week, we'll bring you one coming out story from our community. This is Tyler. All right. Well, I'm Tyler Isley. I'm 18, and I come from a town, Bedford, about 20 minutes south of Indiana University. And my story begins um, late middle school. So it was my eighth grade year, so 2012 to be specific. And 
on March 23rd, I felt like it was finally time for me to come out to my best friend, Trinity. And um, I don't know why. I think it was honestly the CW show, <laughs> 90210. There was this character, I think his name was Teddy, and he came out. And I thought he was super strong in the show. And so I, I pulled my phone out and I said, this is it. And I texted my best friend, Trinity, and she didn't believe me. And so she made me call her and I finally said it to her. And she was just like, oh, my God. She was like, I always knew, but I didn't know. And so it was just funny the way that she reacted because she just she was so accepting. Honestly, I knew she would always be accepting. And then the next day, um, I ended up telling my two other best friends, Madison Minnick and Michaela, and that was hard. Um, I I made I asked them to meet me at my local skate park, and I kind of sat them down, and they both looked at each other like, "What's going on?" And then it took me five minutes, five minutes of silence before I finally like said it. And it was funny because they literally looked at me, and they were just like. That, that's it and I, was, and I was like yes yeah literally thought I was stupid because I stressed about it and they were like you're actually stupid because we already knew and then um, that's how I told them and me coming out I started to tell friends more friends at school and I just wasn't ashamed anymore and when I got in high school which my biggest thing was I was scared to go into high school not being myself because I feel like people in high school get really confused and they lose themselves and I didn't want to be the person who's confused in high school with and so going into high school gay that actually brought me a lot of new friends and that's how I met my first boyfriend and throughout this whole time my sister who I also went to high school with didn't know that I was gay and I never told my mom because I knew that they were the people I needed to worry about and so I got my first boyfriend first month in the high school for some reason. I didn't think I was ever going to get a boyfriend, but I got one in high school. And sadly, he went to the Navy, and my only way of communicating with him throughout his training was by letter. And so I was having to send letters back and forth between him and I, and they were obviously flirtatious letters because, I mean, first boyfriend. So you're going to be cheesy. Um, And I would just, like, write letters, like, explaining how much I missed him, and he would do so back, and then... And it would usually take like two weeks before he got my letter and I got his. And one letter didn't arrive when I expected it to. And a whole week passed and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I was getting a little worried that he just had stopped talking to me. And then I went and laid on my mom's bed to like go take a nap. And there was something under her pillow. And I, I was like, I grabbed it. And there was my letter that I had thought that I had sent that turns out my mom had been stealing my letters from the mail and reading them just to kind of eavesdrop on me in a way and so I called her and I asked her why she had done that and the only thing that could come out of her mouth was are you gay and then I just started crying and then I just told her that I didn't want my sister to know because I knew my sister would be upset and so my mom of course told everybody in my family and my sister got really upset with me and would make fun of me during school and cry to my mom how she was embarrassed of me. But after about six months, everything kind of passed by and everyone got used to it. And now my family is are one of my biggest supporters of my sexuality. And all my friends are supportive. And yeah, now I'm just out. <laughs> that was Tyler.
Open Doors is reported and produced by IU student David Crossman, with Meredith Seaman, Stormy Dayhuff, Matt Peterson, and Taylor Hurt as co-producers. This series was born from an audio journalism class at Indiana University. Everyone participates in coming out stories, as listener or speaker, no matter your orientation. In this series, Open Doors takes a closer listen to some of these stories. This is Hannah Webster. So, freshman year of college. Okay, well, first of all, I've been straight my entire life, so that's that. And um, freshman year of college, I moved in. I was so excited. And everyone was telling me how I needed to meet this cool hippie girl next door because they thought that we would be, like, great friends. And so I met her, and she ended up being really punk and very quiet. And I was like, okay, this is obviously not who I thought it was going to be like. And then um, we started hanging out, and all of a sudden, I don't know why I wanted to keep hanging out with her by ourselves. And then... We went to our, my first weird indie concert together, <laughs> and I don't know. After that, I wanted to hang out with her all the time, and I got nervous all the time, and then I was like, oh, no, I want to make out with her. And then I started freaking out because I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know if it was normal if people did that, and so I figured it was serious enough because I figured out she liked me back, so I needed to tell my parents, and I wasn't that worried about it, because they're really open-minded, and they have so many, like, gay friends, so I was like, yeah, it'll be fine, and I went home to tell them, and my mom turned around, and she was like, what, and then I started freaking out even more, because I thought she was going to be fine with it, and then she cried, and then I felt really bad, and I didn't know what to do, and, um, my dad was like, oh, it all makes sense now because I hadn't been talking to them for, like, the whole semester because I was freaking out. And, um, yeah, so then I told them, and that was that, I guess. It wasn't hard to tell my sisters. It wasn't hard. It was just awkward to tell my parents. But I, like, really struggled to tell my two friends in my major, which I knew would be the most accepting. But, like, I had known them for so long like and they just thought they like guys so I don't know it just took me a long time to tell them and then once I did I found out that one of them her mom has been dating a woman for 11 years so I don't know why I was so nervous to tell her luckily for me in my situation like my sorority is so accepting and everyone thinks it's like funny and like it doesn't really matter so that's good if I was in a different sorority or like one that wasn't as accepting I probably wouldn't have told people the best advice is not to freak out because I learned that there's so many people in the world that are like me and that just are so fluid with their sexuality that it's not a big deal. And I think that um, if you're just honest with your friends, they'll understand. And if they don't accept you for who you are, then they shouldn't be your friends. So You've been listening to Open Doors here on Blooming Out on WFHB. That was Hannah Webster. This piece was reported and produced by Meredith Seaman and Bloomington native Stormy Dayhoff. Stormy co-produced Open Doors with Taylor Hurt, Matt Peterson, and David Crossman. This series was born from an audio journalism class at Indiana University. If you would like to add an event to our event calendar, please email us at bloomingout at 
www.thepeopleshow.org. You may also call us at 812-323-1200, tweet us at bloomingoutwfhb, visit us on our Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in tonight. The executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The board engineer is Sarah Hetrick. We will be back with a live episode next week at 6 p.m. So for host Janae Cummings and Jeff Pulling, I'm producer Ryan Shaddy. Have a great evening. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.